All right, here we go. Another episode of Two Man Advantage. And once again, thrilled to the bone to be joined by my good friend, Pierre Lebrun. Pierre, you're recovering from Hall of Fame. You're in Toronto. But I hope you have your game face on because we have brought one of the biggest international celebrities in NHL hockey coverage, the King of Sweden himself, Per Bierman, joining us from New York City. Per, how, how, is that okay? You sent me that intro. Did I follow it properly? Or <laughs> well, are you asking me, oh, Pierre? Yeah, no, I want to know, Perry. I want to know if, if that was because you sent me that intro, and I just wondered if you felt like followed your uh, your instructions. <laughs> I did not. <laughs> but but thank you so much. <laughs> I loved it. Well, it's a pleasure to have you joining us today, uh, Pierre. And it's it's funny because Pierre and, and I were going back and forth and we had some uh, contact with you. But this, it's fortuitous that you are joining us today because there's some, there's some news afoot in the National Hockey League that has some um, distinct Swedish overtones. And that, of course, was the trade earlier today between the Pittsburgh Penguins, the Los Angeles Kings with Carl Hagelin going from uh, the two-time Stanley Cup champion, Carl Hagelin, going to Los Angeles for Tanner Pearson. Pierre, let's start with you. Uh, And it's funny because you were at the general manager's meetings, which always follows the Hall of Fame induction ceremony in Toronto. It's it's a short one-day trip, but I know our colleague Craig Customs was there and wrote a piece about, you know, is this basically sort of throwing out the idea of making trades where where players get a change of scenery and, and is this the time of year as we approach Thanksgiving, um, the U S Thanksgiving, I'll, I'll note that, um, that these kinds of things might happen. And lo and behold, we have a pretty big trade uh, with the Hagelin Pearson one. And I wonder if you, are you surprised by it or what's your, what's your first take on that? Well, I'd like to apologize because you're going to hear, uh, banging and drilling around me. Uh, it's <laughs> much like the LA King. Much like the LA Kings roster, my house is under renovation. So pretty much nowhere, nowhere quiet that I can go in what's left of where we're living in the part of the house that isn't being renovated, where I can avoid these noises. So I think it's just going to add a nice little atmosphere. It's like uh, oh, I like it. Walking, we're walking through downtown New York for pair. Um, but yeah, I mean. Uh, I mean, listen, I think the Kings and the Penguins uh, have been working the phones for a while now. And, you know, you, Jim Rutherford had been making no bones to uh, people talking to him that uh, he was looking to give his team a bit of a jolt. And uh, in terms of the Kings, I mean, I think Rob Blake waited as long as he could to not make a trade, uh, you know, made a coaching change before making a trade. But after yet another lackluster effort uh, in a home loss in the Leafs on uh, Tuesday night, you know, I, I think this is just the first of probably more moves for LA as they need to get, you know, probably, you know, younger and faster and, and, uh, and they need to remodel this thing if, uh, if they're going to come back next year and, uh, uh, and be able to compete. Not that they're white flagging this year, but uh, I do think they're in pretty big trouble with Jonathan Quick and Jack Campbell out. Uh, Pear, what, what was your take on this? And, and I'm curious because I saw an interesting um, reference to, I guess, the, the our reporters in, um, well, not ours, but all of the reporters in Pittsburgh, um, among the players they talked to today, Patrick Hornquist talking about how difficult a day it was for mm-hmm. him. He and Carl Hagelin and their families are very close. And, um, and I think his, his comment was, 
the, the message has been received from GM Jim Rutherford there. And yeah, I wonder what you, your, your take on this. And it's interesting because Carl Hagelin was so was such a big part of the 2016 Stanley Cup run for the Penguins, less so in 2017. Were you surprised that he's a guy who's on the move? And, and is this it for him? Because he's going to be an unrestricted free agent or can be at the end of this season. What, what was your, what's your take on, on what is it? a big move for both these teams. Well, let me first say it's 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 a great honor to be with you two great gentlemen here. <laughs> this podcast, uh, uh, great great pleasure. Well, uh, I talked to Carl uh, earlier today. I, I got hold of him a couple of hours after the trade was made, and uh, he was as people are, especially mid-season when they're traded. He was a little shocked. Uh, uh, was emotional. He 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 built some really strong relationships in Pittsburgh, as you said. He's best friends with Hornquist, but with other people too. Winning two cups has you know made made it home for him. So he was quite shocked. But he, on the other hand, he's he's always trying to stay positive and talked about well, it's going to be good to come to Los Angeles and play for for a team with great potential, and he hoped to help them. Uh, Get a little faster. That's what he does, right? When when he when he came to New York to Rangers and later on to Pittsburgh, it wasn't only that he's fast himself. He makes he makes the teams faster, and I guess that's exactly what the Kings need, right? Well, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And Pierre, let me you know, is do you see this though as I guess obviously if if uh, Carl Hagelin helps to turn things around in Los Angeles, I mean still perilously early in this season right i mean you mentioned it this isn't you know it's it's not necessarily white flag time but it also sets up an interesting possibility that rob blake may be using carl Hagelin again if this team doesn't turn it around as we get closer to the trade deadline that he's going to be someone and that other teams around the nhl would find attractive given his speed given his playoff not just experience but his uh, success in the playoffs do you uh, which you know, what do you see as the future in terms of this trade for the Kings? Right. As, as Perry knows, uh, Carl Hagelin is an unrestricted free agent at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. So, and the LA Kings are having to retool slash rebuild this roster. So you kind of wonder how that all fits in now. Now, I guess if Hagelin is a good fit, uh, maybe the King signed him to an extension at some point, but uh, what you just said, Scotty, I, I would think is also a possibility that the Kings can't get back in the playoff race, which is they turn around and, uh, um, you know, make him a rental. I mean, because the, the asset here in this trade might be clearing up cap space for the LA Kings who have some big contracts and have their nucleus really locked up. Um, but they they're, they really are capped out. If you look at their cap situation, it might be, and I say this with all due respect to Carl Hagelin, uh, especially with Pear on, Pear on, our, <laughs> on our podcast, but, but, but it might be that one of the great benefits of this is that they, they, you know, they've created a bit of cap flexibility moving forward uh, past this year. Um, you know, Tanner Pearson had a couple more years on his deal, uh, and, and the Kings really were kind of capped out. So, I mean, that's the other side of this, but we'll see. I mean, I think it can still go a lot of different ways here. 
Right. Well, I mean, it's interesting, though, for for me, is that when you look at the Penguins and, and the Penguins right now, obviously not being where they expected to be in terms of the standings they are below the playoff bubble now. But again, you know, not I, I don't think you can read too, too much into that at this stage for a team as as experienced as the Penguins, although they're. You know, they're, they are well down the list in the Eastern Conference right now. They're four points in arrears of the second wildcard spot now, for what it's worth as we're taping this. But, you know, Jim Rutherford has a history of taking players that are maybe at a low ebb in their careers. And I think of Justin Schultz coming over from Edmonton. Um, I think of Ian Cole coming from St. Louis. Uh, go down the list. Uh uh, Perry, let me ask you, does Tanner Pearson, does he fit that sort of mold of, hey, here's a guy that you know has shown at times in Los Angeles um, an ability to be a consistent offensive producer. Is he a guy that, is this another one of those reclamation projects that come playoff time, people are going to be going, oh, okay, that makes that makes sense. And, and, and as Pierre noted, he's a guy who also brings cost certainty and contract certainty to the Penguins for the next couple of years. Um, you know, is that the kind of move that, that, uh, that we could be seeing the Penguins um, enjoying dividends from down the road and into the playoffs in, in next spring? Maybe so. He, he, he's, he's got potential, right? But, but uh, they've been frustrated about the, the lack of, of energy and emotions they've been talking about. And he, I think he's been one of the more, more, uh, prominent examples of that that he's not been hadn't looked like he he he's been feeling that good on the ice and maybe a move to pittsburgh a team with that kind of uh always contenders uh will be very good for him and he can uh, uh you know come back to what he was once was i i, I should mention two guys that just jumped in here uh, we should mention on the same day of this trade, Jim, uh, it's announced that Jim Rutherford signed the contract extension as GM. And the reason I bring that up is that, you know, uh, Jim Rutherford is not there to rebuild the Pittsburgh Penguins. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> he, he is there to extend the window. Uh, and so I, I thought it's revealing when you give a veteran GM like Jim Rutherford uh, an extension, which I think was obviously the wise decision. <laughs> Two Stanley Cups will do that. But it also tells you it's kind of a peek inside, you know, a peek behind the curtain because it tells you that ownership is saying, you know, Sidney Crosby still signed and Getty Malkin is still signed and Chris Letang. So let's go. Let's keep moving these pieces around them to try and take another run at things. So I, I thought that was interesting as well on this day. Yeah, yeah, it is a team that that should be able to to contend for, for for three or four more years, right? Well, yeah. Well, and I guess that's maybe that's the the, the question I'll ask you both. This I know that the, the Mike Sullivan has been unhappy. Uh, certainly, Jim Rutherford has been talking very candidly about the fact that they he was in a position to look to make moves because he things were not where they wanted them to be. But this is also, to me, and, and you know what, 
they're one of those teams. And I put Los Angeles and, <clears throat> and Chicago in the same boat when you go back four or five or six years where it didn't really <laughs> matter what they did in the regular season. That you, you, you just knew at some point that the Blackhawks or the Kings or uh, Boston, I suppose, you could throw into that mix. And certainly this Pittsburgh team, you go back even to 08 and 09, uh, going to back-to-back cups and, and winning their, their first in the Crosby era, era in 09, that you knew that they would at some point get to the playoffs. And they always have and uh, Pierre you alluded to it winning back-to-back cups and uh, let me ask Pierre to start with then do you do you look at this team and, and the struggles of Matt Murray and goal you look at this move do you still believe that of this Penguins team do you still think listen I don't care where they are in the standings right now it's the second week of November <laughs> they are going to be in the top eight in the yeah. Eastern Conference come April or what which What's your take? Because at some point, the window does close, right? We've seen it close in L.A. We've seen it close, I think it's fair to say, in Chicago. Um, what's your take on the Penguins and, and how they're they're constructed right now? Well, I, yeah. I th- me or Pierre? <laughs> yeah, it's either one. Either the guys with Pierre. See, see, see this is going to be confusing during the podcast <laughs> because you got Pierre and you got a pair. I will so, try to uh, enunciate more. but <laughs> yeah. Just say yeah. Swedish pair. <laughs> <laughs> go go ahead there. Well, no, well, I, I I still think they're uh, better off right now than than the teams you mentioned. I I don't think they're um, uh, getting really worse and if they're in in in, in the playoffs uh I think they're still very dangerous, especially since they have Mike Sullivan as a coach. I think he's he might be the most underrated coach in the league. He he's never been uh, uh, nominated for Jack uh, Jack Adams, but still come playoff time, he he's always always good, right? And I still I I think uh, I think it's still like that. If 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 they're in the playoffs. Uh, no one, nobody wants to meet them. Uh, they're always going to be dangerous as long as Sidney Crosby and uh, Gino Malkin is there and, and and play like they do now. And, and I think uh, I always say, you know, start with, you know, the geography around them. And they're in a metropolitan division that's a bit in flux right now. The Atlantic is, yeah, uh, I think where the talent more resides. And so you look at the metropolitan as we tape this. Columbus is in first place despite the fact their top offensive threat and their number one goalie basically have uh, told the team they're leaving. <laughs> so <laughs> how is that going to play out as the year goes on? The New York Islanders are surprisingly second right now. Excellent job by Barry Trotz, but does that have sustainability? Uh, I'm not convinced. The New York Rangers who are openly rebuilding, yeah. who uh, are probably going to trade back to Corello at some point, <laughs> somehow are locking down third right now. Is, does that have sustainability? Um, and, and so what, I guess what I'm saying is if you're Pittsburgh and you're three points behind the Rangers and Islanders right now as we tape this, your biggest concern is the Stanley Cup champion Washington Capitals in your division, and the Caps have kind of meandered their way through the first six weeks of the season somewhat predictably. Um, the Caps are the team that you're really concerned about, and they're just two points ahead of you. Uh, and again, I say that with all due respect, but I think the Islanders and Rangers are, are, are going to have their ups and downs here moving forward. Uh, Columbus is a very good team. They were last year too, but I'm more concerned about the off-ice distractions that uh, are playing out there. So what I'm saying is I, I think that if you're Pittsburgh, no matter how much you struggle in the opening six weeks of the season, 
you look at what's going on in your group and you're like, oh, we're right there. And I think that's that's all that really matters. Yeah, you know, I, I think you're absolutely right. And again, I, I don't think the Penguins are anywhere near, you know, sort of the, the evolutionary arc um, that the Los Angeles Kings are at or the Chicago Blackhawks. And we obviously talked a lot about them last week uh, with the uh, dismissal of Joel Quenville, the head coach there. So I, I couldn't agree more. Um, per, I want to I switch, switch gears, but stay with the Swedish theme. You'll find this all the way through this podcast. You'll find them very thematic. Yes. Um, and I know in uh, talking to you before we started the tape that you were recently in Vancouver. And no, no, spent- I was not. No. Oh, you were not, but you were he, in contact. He was in Buffalo. Yes, in <laughs> Buffalo. I went to Buffalo Boston and, and Buffalo, and uh, okay. yes, I covered uh, uh, the next great Swede. Yes, well, well, thank you for correcting my error. But uh, you were not in Vancouver, but you were close, obviously, to the Vancouver Canucks and the next great Swede. Now, I want to know first of all, Elias. Peterson, I believe I'm saying that with a mild Swedish inflection there. Was that okay? Yes, yes, it's okay. <clears throat> if you were in Sweden, you would say, if you were Swedish, you would say Elias Pettersson. But, okay. you know, we're used to, to, to the North American way of saying our names, so it's it's no problem. <laughs> so no, I've mangled pair, but, it but, only but a bit. Pair, but, but, pair, but Pair, you know how close Scotty and I are. Like, we're like <laughs> brothers. Yes. He can't even say my name. I mean, he can't even <laughs> say anything in French, so... If you think he can say something in Swedish, he can't even say French. And I mean, the guy's the guy's Canadian, so I mean, don't worry about it. That's not entirely true because I can always say le gâteau est sur la table, which means the cake is on the table. You know that full well. Yes. But it, I don't. It's even beyond the pronunciation, though, with Peterson, um, because I understand, um, Pear, that you have launched a campaign yes. that he should be known as Elvis Presley. And <laughs> my sense is it has not gone as well as you don't. But no. <laughs> no, it's not working out at all. Uh, Pierre tried to help me uh, um, telling his uh, 699,000 uh, Twitter followers about this. And um, yes, I did. people didn't really like it. Uh, your your uh, aesthetic colleague, uh, Jason Botchford, was especially upset about this. He's been threatening me, threatening me with all kinds of pain if I keep this up. <laughs> <laughs> they don't like the name Elvis at all. I think it's the coolest name ever. But you know, if nobody else is going to use it, I'm going to keep it in my blog uh, for now. <laughs> now, uh, how did uh, Elias? Did you mention it to him that you were thinking that that you know it might work for him or tell us a bit about him because he is you know you mentioned you know potentially the next great swede but you know as we're speaking here he is he is one of the stories of this next generation of players as we're chatting he's got 10 goals in 14 games he's got seven assists uh he is i would say it's fair to say that the single uh, reason that the Vancouver Canucks have been one of the surprise stories of the first month and a half, first almost quarter of this season. What what about this player, and and, and what's your level of surprise at what he's done thus far, if you're surprised at all? Well, uh, you know, he, he, he started better than any Swede ever. Uh, uh, Forsberg, Sandin, all those guys, they were nowhere near uh, 10 goals after uh, after game, only one. 
12, 13 games. Yeah, 14 uh, games. As so absolutely, I'm surprised. Uh, you know, I'm, I've been here for 14 years, so I haven't seen him back home at all. I heard about him, and people are telling me that he's a great, great talent. But to see him uh, do this, uh, I was, <laughs> I've been as, uh, as stunned as everyone else, especially those first six, seven games and, and the game against Colorado when he had five points <laughs> and, and, and played like, uh, you know, a, a young Pavel Datsyuk. Mm. It's been amazing to, to watch him. He's a, uh, Pierre, what's your sense of this? He's six foot two. Now he's still growing into his body. He's listed as 176 pounds. So obviously not filled out, but is what's your level of, uh, you know, impressedness, which is not really technically a word, but where do you, when you look at this Canucks team <laughs> and you look at Pedersen, uh, you see, I almost like, I'm almost like, uh, I'm like you, I occasionally will insert words that don't actually exist in a dictionary into my English conversation. So, but I wonder what you, what's your take on the Canucks and, and, and where Pedersen is at right now? Well, here. I, first of all, uh, the thing that I think about is, are we already wondering how he went fifth overall in the 2017 draft? I guess yeah. the first thing I would ask, but, uh, you know, that's, uh, you know, Jim Benning's taken a lot of heat during his years there as GM in Vancouver, but this certainly will shape up to be his calling card, uh, um, you know, him and his, his scouting staff there. But, you know, I, I, I also like the fact that of course, unlike a lot of 18 year olds that jump right into the NHL that, uh, you know, Pedersen stayed home for another year last year and, and continued to hone his skills and, I think that's so important. Uh, I think that just makes you better prepared for when you do finally come over. And and, uh, and I think the, your maturity level is more developed. And, and so I think, you know, that's something I still think that unless you're, you know, unless you're, you're, you're Connor McDavid or, or Sidney Cosby, I, I think it should be such a small list of players that start off at 18 in my mind in the NHL. Yeah. But, you know, what did you, what did you glean Pair when you spent some time with him over the last few days, and uh, and as you caught up with him on the road uh, in Buffalo, and then <clears throat> with the <clears throat> Canucks coming to your adopted home in New York, what what did you what did you get from him in terms of his personality, and were there things that surprised you about him in in, in chatting with him? Well, um, Louis Erickson said last night after their last game here in Brooklyn against the Islanders that I couldn't come to any more games because obviously I <laughs> I was bad luck for uh, Elias. He he only had one point during my, my travels with them here. Um, so I'm the cooler, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I talked to him a little bit. He's very quiet. Uh, uh, He's, he's, he's kind of different, different kind of person uh, from, uh, from most hockey players. But I think that's a good thing. Different, different is good. Uh, and I think he's, he's, he's got this amazing hockey brain. He's, he's a hockey nerd, as far as I can tell. Uh, and it's, it's, it's all about hockey. He's been, you know, I said, could you have dreamed about this and I said yes this is exactly what I what I pictured when I was a kid this is what I wanted I believe in myself uh, and uh, uh, but he, he, he's he's kind of uh, shy uh, with media uh, but you know the other guys are saying that he's such a humble great kid uh, 
they love how he handles himself around the rink and both on and off ice. Uh, it's going to be, you know, we we had a lot of great defensemen coming over the last couple of years from Sweden. We have Eric and Victor, and we're proud of them. But it's been a while since we, we had a, a forward or a center uh, being the center of attention like this. So, so if we go back to the 20, to, to finish my thought, I wanted to go back and look at my notes, but 2017 draft. So obviously Nico Heischer, it was the Nico or Nolan debate, right? Nolan Patrick goes two, Heischer goes one. Um, and then Miro Heiskanen goes three, uh, Scotty. And uh, I remember yep. you writing about him and uh, you had just started your work with the Dallas Stars at that moment. And I remember when Heiskanen got picked, it wasn't a shock because he was highly ranked, but it also wasn't, I mean, that right away at that point in the draft is where it started to get interesting in terms of who Dallas could have taken. But Heiskanen is having an unbelievable rookie year right now with the Dallas Stars. Um, so he makes you think. And Kale McCarr goes four at Colorado, so we'll see there. Defensemen normally take a little more time to develop. And then, of course, Pedersen at five. So it'll be interesting even in just two years to compare the top five here with the way it all plays out. Yeah. Is there, is there a reason, do you think, Pear, that this is, you know, this is the, the way the pendulum is swung in terms of young Swedish talent coming? I mean, is it just one of those uh, arc things that, uh, you know, in the past it's been talented forwards. Now we're on a, uh, you know, sort of a, a, a cur- part of the curve where we're seeing high-end defensive talent come where maybe we didn't see it for a number of years. Is there any, is there any rhyme or reason to it or what, what do you think? I, I couldn't really answer that. Uh, it's, it's, it's this new generation. It's so, so interesting to see how uh, they, they have such confidence in them, in themselves when they, when they come up. Uh, the young Swedes used to be <laughs> be a very uh, well. He is quiet uh, off ice, but they used to be a little quiet on ice too. I think, and uh, and he's uh, he's a different kind. He, he thinks um, shooting first. That's not been uh, the Swedish way, has it? It's been more like uh, passing first, right? And he's a he's, well. He's he's everything. He's a goal scorer and a passer, and uh, I think. Elias himself is—he's not part of a pattern, really. He's—he's he's unique. Yeah. Um, all right. We are going to bring to a close this segment of Two Man Advantage, our Swedish day here on the podcast. But <laughs> Pierre Bierman, do not go away, Pierre. No. I know you would never go away, um, but we'll be back in a couple of minutes, and we'll pick this up. We'll talk about another Swede whose name is perpetually in the news. How about William Nylander? So don't go away. We'll be back with the second segment of Two Man Advantage, the podcast. All right. And we'll come mm-hmm. back in three, two, one. As promised, here we are. Perry, I, I, before we get in, obviously there are a couple of things that uh, Pierre and I'd like to discuss with you before we wrap up uh, Two Man Advantage, the podcast uh, today. Um, but you mentioned you'd been in New York for 14 years. Tell, tell us a bit about how, you know, how did you end up here? And um, you and I and Pierre have spent a lot of time crisscrossing the hockey world and spending many pleasurable evenings together, but how did you end up in, we, in, in New York? Fact, uh, in fact, when I think of pair, I think about the lovely 
walks that we have around town. Uh, <laughs> yes. All the NHL cities. <laughs> the NHL cities that we've been to. I love I love going for a stroll with Bear. It's very enjoyable. Yes. That's what I, I think. I was, in fact, I was surprised that Pear would agreed to come on the podcast with us, Pierre, after you made him go on the March of Tears uh, at uh, the All-Star Game in Tampa last year, uh, forcing him into the 20-mile walk from dinner to uh, post-dinner refreshments. Uh, so I, I think it's good of Pear to have put that behind him. <laughs> yes. Well, that I thought I'd be, be out walking during this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know that's not going to happen. <laughs> no. Well, uh, I I I came here in uh, early '05 uh, as the regular correspondent for U.S. correspondent for Aftonbladet and 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 uh, did you know news and and entertainment and everything. And in back of my head, I had it's going to be so fun to do some NHL hockey. I thought I'd only be here for a year, and I thought, yes, I'm going to see a press box in, in the, the National Hockey League. Well, the first assignment, uh, the first NHL assignment was the press conference when, when Gary Bettman canceled the season. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so that was no fun, but the the, the in in September, Henrik Lundqvist got over here to 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 the New York Rangers, and had immediate success. And I started covering him, and he got really hot back in Sweden. So they wanted more and more, and I started writing more and more hockey. And eventually, they they closed the correspondence office, but kept me here. And now it's mostly NHL all the time. That's good. And now you you live in New York City. I, I remember you, at one point you were going to have a party for all the hockey writers, and then uh, that that never happened. So we've <laughs> never been to your place. But what, what's what has been the most challenging part for you, you know, living away from home, but also covering the, the the Swedish hockey community in the NHL because it's a, it's a tight knit group. Um, and my sense is your relationship with the Swedish players is, is probably a lot different than, than Pierre's relationship with the, with North American players or my relationship would be. Do you, do you think that's fair? And maybe what's that been like for you? Well, uh, it's been great. I wouldn't call it a challenge at all because the players been and continue to be really, really great. Uh, they're, you hear all these horror stories about the the relationship between the soccer national team and and media back home, and I'm surprised all the time because the guys here are so humble and so good and always always uh, talks to talk to me and and help me with 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 so I can cover them. I guess it's it's a little bit about they have their family and friends back home. They get to read in Swedish about them. I guess. Perhaps that's part of it, but but I I think it's amazing. Well, it's also because you're a great guy and you're fun to have a drink with. Let's be honest. But, uh, <laughs> as long know, as we're not walking. Yes, but by the way, pairs pairs uh, highlight every year. Just so our people listening know this, his his career highlight every year is every spring when the New York Rangers are eliminated. Pear has to go to Henrik Lundqvist and ask him if he's going to go play in the World Championships for Sweden. <laughs> That's yes. his favorite moment. <laughs> yes, that's that's been a challenge for sure. <laughs> oh my goodness. 
Uh, well, it, uh, now, and if I'm not mistaken, every once in a while, um, Pierre and I end up in your column, and because I, and it's probably just one of those good things that uh, I don't want to speak for Pierre, although I often do. I don't think either of us can read Swedish, so it's probably a good thing that we don't know exactly what's being said about <laughs> us. But the more important thing will be for you to lobby your Swedish uh, fan base pair to subscribe to the Athletic. So that'll be your next goal in the column. I hope that's a, I hope that's a top priority for you. Absolutely, it's mostly in the blog. You're, you know, I'm writing a live blog from every game. And that's where you two often end up. <laughs> and but I'm certainly I'm certainly gonna tell them to to subscribe to the the athletic. Absolutely. <laughs> well, it's funny uh, it, as we move back into the actual hockey world. I, I was just sort of checking to make sure we hadn't been lapped by news while we're recording this, and I see uh, our good friend Chris Johnson from Sportsnet it's, uh, with the Toronto Maple Leafs. They're out west, and I, I see Joe Pavelski has uh, was giving uh, the collective Toronto media a bit of a shot. As you now quote him, he says, "You guys need a few more Nylander articles out there. It's been." <laughs> kind of quiet so that's a good <laughs> it's a good topic for us especially on a day where there was a big trade and and certainly as we bear down between uh well now in the end of the month uh, the deadline uh, under which william nylander must be brought under contract or will be unable to play in the nhl this season um pierre let's start with you you've been covering that and it's such a huge story for the toronto Maple police and really uh it, it's a huge story across national hockey league because there are lots of teams that uh, have no doubt been in uh, in touch with the Maple Leafs about their plans for William Nylander, and if it doesn't look like the team can find a middle ground on a on a contract, um, that the Leafs one of the options obviously they'll have to look at is is to try and trade him, and, and presumably that he would then sign with another team. And I wonder, is there a way to describe where it's at, and and maybe how, how much um, how much meat there is to the whole trade? story uh, and stories i suppose plural that are percolating as as the clock ticks away on on the leafs and, and william nylander yeah well that was my piece today I, I kind of explored from making a bunch of calls the last couple of days you know what teams i think that have either internally discussed nylander or outwardly have already talked to toronto about it or third option plan to reach out to toronto and haven't yet so i had a bunch of teams and in my piece today on the athletic and it's still early in that process, but certainly Carolina from the get go has been really aggressive about letting the Leafs know that they'd like to stay in the mix. I, I just, the thing that I always stumble on with Carolina, even though they may have the best trade fit because they're so deep on defense. I, I, I always stumble on the thought of how is it that the hurricanes could come to a contract agreement with Nylander if, if the Leafs could not. So I always struggle with that part of it which is why I don't know if it could ever happen. But I, I will say this. One of the reasons why it's starting to percolate on the trade front is because the Leafs are sort of operating on parallel tracks, right? They have, to, they have to know what's out there so that as they get closer to December 1st or late November, and everyone listening by now knows that, you know, if Nylander is not signed to an NHL contract by December 1st, he can't play in the NHL this season. Um, the Leafs have to have to keep trying to sign him on one hand while at the same time exploring what's out there trade-wise if they end up wanting to trade him. For some reason, I'm sticking to the position that I think he's actually going to re-sign with the lease. I just think it's it's going to be one of those 11th hour 
things where finally each side moves by a few more inches to where they need to go and, and, and decide whether or not they're willing to make that deal. Pear, what's your, uh, I mean, you've known the Nylander family is uh, William's father, Michael, a longtime NHLer. So uh, my, I'm guessing that you've known the family uh, and their hockey lives for, for some time. What's your take on, on how this is all unfolded and, and maybe how it's playing in Sweden? Is it, is it big news back home? And, and what, what, what's your take on, on the track it might take between now and December 1st? Well, uh, yes, it's it's a big story in Sweden too, and I, I'd say the the uh, the mainstream, uh, uh, the general public has a hard time uh, understanding this uh, and think it's crazy that you say no to six point five million and wants eight instead. But uh, it's more complicated than that, right? With with the cap and, and other contracts and stuff. But uh, so he, he's. He's getting hit a little bit in Sweden about this, actually. Uh, I think like Pierre, in the end, he's going to resign. They're going to come to a compromise. And as I understand, it, it, the longer they wait, uh, the cap hit's going to be a little less, right? Isn't that a fact? Well, it, it's, uh, it, 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 I, it's higher this year, but lesser going forward, interestingly, which uh-huh. really which is it's strange the way the CBA works that way, but which actually as a silver lining, if the Leafs do end up signing him kind of works out for the Leafs because they have tons of cap room this year for the last time. And then next year is when of course the new contracts, which will eventually presumably get signed for Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner and maybe Jake Gardner, who's UFA, you know, starting next year is when life gets real for the Toronto Maple Leafs in the cap world. Yeah. So the fact, so the fact that because Nylander has six weeks into the season still unsigned, strange little caveat is that it, the, the the AV is that the, the cap number is actually higher this year, but but a bit lower past this year, which would actually work out for Toronto. Yeah. Well, uh, Scotty, you asked about the family. I, I know them quite well, uh, and I'd say they're. Uh, Stubbornness would be one of their characteristics. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, uh, he's not going to cave uh, immediately, that's for sure. Well, and that's, I mean, there certainly has been no end of sort of speculation or, or wondering aloud what kind of role Michael Nylander, the father, might be playing in negotiations. I, Bear, you are probably in a as better position than most to say, is, is that is that likely one of the factors that is that is is part of the equation here is that the the father is involved and and uh, certainly his history as an NHL player uh, would it would lend credibility to your description of him what <laughs> how, how big a role do you think uh, Michael Nylander is playing in this well uh, that's pure speculation because I I, I wouldn't really know but I I think uh, his son listens to him with, with his experience from the league. Uh, and yes, uh, I'd, I'd guess he's, he's, he's involved, but uh, I think William uh, is a grown man now. So it's his decision. I think uh, uh, him and the agent are, are, are the ones taking the decisions here. 
Yeah. Pierre, when I, to me, one of the interesting parts of this is that the Leafs have been, for the most part, so good. And certainly offensively, except for the odd sort of dip. Uh, during the you know for the through the first quarter of this season, um, you know that they they really haven't missed William Nylander in the sense that they you know that they they aren't languishing in the standings. Um, do you think it's changed the least perception on how important William Nylander is to them, and maybe that he is a better asset? Uh, in terms of moving uh, William Nylander for presumably a, a, an upgrade along the blue line, a young defenseman um, with lots of upside. Uh, you mentioned Carolina and their depth. I've heard Minnesota's uh, a team that, you know, and certainly young defenseman Matt Dumba's name is out there, all those kinds of things. But do you think because the Leafs have been pretty good that it changes how William Nylander's viewed by management and maybe his overall importance to the the team or is it is that just white noise no i think at least would still like him in the fold i, I just think they feel that uh he makes them even that much more dangerous uh he makes them deeper he makes them harder to match up against if you're going to win a stanley cup you have to be able to beat teams in many different ways and i think they still view nylander as a guy that just adds another important weapon to their arsenal um you know the the fascinating thing in all of this is that when the Leafs signed John Tavares, they not only believed in their plans that they could re-sign Nylander, Marner, and Matthews despite signing Tavares all that money, they shared that vision with John Tavares because that was important in convincing Tavares of coming to Toronto, right? Um, John Tavares doesn't want to go to a team and then have it blow up because of him. So there's a lot riding on this. And that's why I do think trading Nylander is really last resort. It may happen. It may have to happen if they can't sign him. But it's absolutely not what the Leafs want to do. I mean, the Leafs really believe strongly in what kind of team they can be if, if they have Tavares, Nylander, Matthews, and Marner all playing at that once. And um, and that's that's the vision for Kyle Dubas. But... Well, it, it, he may have his hand forced on this. And I know that there, our colleague at the Athletic, Jonas Siegel, made a compelling argument recently about not, you know, even if they can't sign him, don't trade him, just sit on him for the year and then revisit it in the summer. And, and you know, the point being, I guess, that, you know, you're not making a trade you're going to regret and you're also sending a message that, you know, you, the Leafs aren't going to be dictated to in these situations. And yeah. I get all that. But the counter to that is probably where I sit, is that this is the Leafs opening account and trying to be a cup contender. And I think it's hard to go in that dressing room and look everyone in the eye and say, not only do we not have Willie Nylander, we also got nothing for him this year. You're, you're not going to have that many cracks at it, no matter how much everyone talks about building a team for several years to contend. The reality is this might be the deepest Leafs team period this year before the cap starts to, to be more difficult to navigate moving forward. Pair, before we leave the Nylander saga, whether he ends up playing for the Leafs or ends up, if, if 
plan B becomes the reality and he ends up playing somewhere else. When you miss a quarter of the season or more by the time he gets around to, to getting back onto NHL ice, do you think, how do you think it affects his season? I mean, you know him as a player. Is mm-hmm. it the kind of thing that he comes back and he is ultra um, motivated to prove people wrong or to make up lost ground? Or do you think the fact that you come back in after missing so much time and the rest of the league is already at warp speed, um, that it becomes a real difficult track for William Nylander, regardless of, of who he ends up playing for this season, assuming that he doesn't sit out the entire campaign? Yeah, well, you know, he's, he's, been, he's been practicing a lot. With, with Austria, he had some friend uh, coaching a team there, and uh, I think he's the kind of player uh, that would would uh, come into uh, game shape pretty fast uh, at this age. And and he he seemed like that kind of player. I think he he'd, he'd need a couple of weeks perhaps uh, to practice with the team, and then he'd be ready. Uh, I think it's interesting. I, I agree with everything Pierre is saying. At the same time, the Maple Leafs seem to be one of the very few teams that would be could afford to trade uh, a, a player at by that caliber and get a, a demon for him. Well, it, it certainly is not the last we'll hear of it. And I'm uh, pleased that we're be, be able to help out Joe Pavelski uh, in San Jose, who seems to want more William <laughs> Nylander stories. So that's a good thing. Uh, before we wrap up, though, uh, our visit with Pierre Bierman and uh, this episode of Two Man Advantage, the podcast. Pierre, we, we've come to the end of the annual Hall of Fame cycle. And um, I always say, you know, I for many years I was in Toronto. I'd say probably nine or ten years in a row I covered the ceremonies and it's it's fallen out of the routine for me. And so I sort of, I miss being there, but um, in general, I would, uh, were there highlights for you? And, uh, and then I want to ask you and pair um, moving forward about, uh, about what we might see next year in terms of the class of 2019, but what was the, what was a highlight for you of, of this year's hall of fame uh, events, not just the night, but the, the days leading up to it. Uh, maybe there were a couple. Yeah, well, it's always such a big deal, especially for us at TSN. You know, we carry the event we have for years, and I, you know, I think we're very proud of it. And James Duffy does a tremendous job, and I, I, I love doing the pre-show with Juno Retta and having the guests come off the red carpet. And, you know, this year we had Wayne Gretzky among our guests, and, and he was just so fantastic. Of course, he had Marty Berger in Salt Lake City at the Olympics, as you remember, after the Swedish torpedo... <laughs> But uh, put a million pucks past Canada, the Olympic opener, uh, Canada had to shift gears and uh, Marty Berger saved the day. So it's just great to hear all those stories. But if I'm going to look back at the class of 2018, I, I'm just going to remember the word uh, inclusivity, which is just hockey, you know, barriers going down and being represented in this hockey class. Of course, Willie O'Ree breaking the color barrier uh, 60 years ago and how long overdue and you and you wrote about it, Scotty, that his induction finally came, but Jana Heffer, just the sixth female player, of course, you know, players only starting to go in about a decade ago, but, um, you know, just her wonderful speech about openness, um, you know, with her, her wife and kids in the front row beaming with pride as she spoke. Um, I just think it was a wonderful moment to think about all the elements that play here, uh, in terms of what this year's induction class could mean, for maybe someone watching at home who didn't feel like 
it was their place to even think about being part of hockey. So I, I think that's probably what I'm going to remember. Yeah. Very, very well said, my friend. Mm-hmm. Um, Perry, you and I were chatting just before we started the, this. We were talking about uh, 2019, maybe less, um, I don't want to say slam dunks, but maybe less obvious <clears throat> candidates for next year's class. But it certainly opens up a lot of discussion about players who might be, who are certainly worthy of discussion. And <clears throat> one of them, a player you know very well, and Pierre and I know <clears throat> exceedingly well from our days covering hockey in Toronto and in Ontario, but the longtime captain of the Ottawa Senators, Daniel Alfredson. Pierre, what's your, what's your take on that? And, and is there, is there, is, uh, is it the kind of groundswell where people, you think people will sort of, rise up in the coming weeks and months to say, hey, wait a minute, Daniel Alfredson really does deserve a real hard look from the Hall of Fame selection committee. Maybe not so much for his point production, uh, but for what he meant to to the franchise in Ottawa and for the number of years that they were legitimate Stanley Cup contenders uh, year in and year out uh, during his prime as, uh, as a senator. Yes, yes, absolutely, and I, I think it'll, if 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 it doesn't happen in a couple of years, there'll, there'll be a riot in Ottawa because <laughs> <laughs> he's he's a god there. I was I, I was there a couple of times, uh, spending time with him in 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 the Canadian capital, and it was like I was out walking with Jesus. You know, you come into <laughs> a lunch restaurant and it just falls quiet, and everybody's stunned. Look, it's Alfie. <laughs> so uh, I, I think exactly what you're saying. What it, what he did for the senators for so many years, and what he meant to the city and and the and the club. I think he should be in in, in the in the in the discussion for sure. Yeah, no, no, no question. And, and you know the thing the thing that I like to bring up, and it's not to bring down Matt Sundin. It's quite the opposite. I, I thought Matt Sundin was absolutely deserving of going in the first crack that he had a chance, but. You know, I don't know how you feel about this pair, and I know you have relationships with both guys, so I'm not trying to put you in a tight spot here, but I, I think that Alfredson's career mirrors that of Sandin's in so many ways. I mean, they, yeah, absolutely. they were the you know, they were the captains of the each were the captain of a Ontario team. Uh, neither one won a Stanley Cup, but they both were part of the same Olympic championship team in Torino, Italy. Yes. Um, uh, you, you know, there's so many parallels between Alfredson and Sandin, and for the life of me, I mean, and it's hard. I'm not on the selection committee, so I, I get that it's hard. Everyone has a guy that, you know, a person that they nominate. And, but for me, that Sundin goes in first crack and Alfredson now has been passed over twice. I feel like there's a disconnect there. I'm, I'm not quite sure about that. Yeah, so uh, he, in Sweden, they call them the, the, the golden generation. It was uh, Sundin, Forsberg, Lidstrom, and Alfie um, in the same age range. And, and, uh, extremely successful and they were really golden so uh, we're waiting for Alfie to 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 close the circle well I you know I think that's one of the great so you know again Perry you and I were talking about this before I mean for me I I, I think I think of a player like Sergei Zuboff who has been long overlooked uh, for the work he did um, certainly both with Dallas and the New York Rangers uh, a huge part of both those franchises at, at some of their greatest moments and um, I, I think it will be interesting uh, to see 
how this unfolds next year because uh, the face of the selection committee continues to change. Um, and I, I just think it'll be interesting to see if, uh, if, if Alfredson becomes one of those players that um, has support within that committee and, and maybe next year is, is the year that we see him. But um, there's, for me, it's always difficult at the hall of fame time because some if people take it so personally, it's an important, it's an important, maybe the most important designation for a player, uh, a builder, uh, official, anyone connected to the game. But if you say that so-and-so, you don't think that they belong in the hall of fame, sometimes people take it very personally. So um, it will be, it will be interesting to to see how that unfolds and well, well we should months. mention scotty that uh you know you mentioned the selection committee continues to evolve we, we should mention i mean cassie campbell pascal yep uh former uh, national team member for the Kane women's team and of course uh now in her broadcasting career uh, with Oxnard Canada, she she is now on the committee and that's very important because there haven't been a lot of women over the years on that committee right and, and she- uh and, and and there's really no excuse that ever since they opened the door to female players that there have actually been a couple of years where there weren't any elected. I mean, it's just ridiculous. So I think her voice, you know, her voice and her wisdom, um, in that matter will be important, uh, you know, uh, on on that committee, but, you know, a couple of other names, you mentioned Zuboff. I'm in agreement there. Doug Wilson is a former Norris trophy winner, perennial all-star in the eighties with the Chicago Blackhawks, of course, now the gym of the Sharks, but, it's always mystifying to me that, that he's been passed over all these years. Alex McGilney, to me, is a Hall of Famer through and through, uh, and he's been passed over for a long time. And, and the reason why it's going to be interesting is that there, there, there aren't really any automatic first-year eligible players next year that scream out at you. I mean, some of the names that are first-year eligible are Vincent LeCavalier and Brad Richards, Marty St. Louis, old three amigo buddies from the Tampa Bay Lightning days, and Patrick Eliash from the New Jersey Devils. I mean, those are probably the three names that jump out from the first year eligibility list, but I don't know unless you guys disagree, those guys had terrific careers, but I don't know that it screams, uh, you know, first, first year crack at the, at the hall of fame. Agreed. It's going to be interesting regarding sweets. It's going to be interesting in a couple of years when the, when, when the Sedins are, are there, uh, they would right. have to bring, bring both of them in at the same time, right? They can't just choose you, you would Daniel hope. or Hendrick. Uh, I mean, <laughs> on it, going together. well, uh, yeah. And I don't, I mean, is there, I mean, I see little doubt that they are hall of famers, but again, that will, again, it will be interesting at that time to who else is in the mix and, and the, and the numbers game, because there, there are limits to the number of players that go in every year. So, um, that will, that will be interesting in, in short pair, no shortage of Swedish hockey news to keep you in North America, which is where you, where we want you to stay. So that's, <laughs> a, that's a good thing. And, uh, I hope that there are many long walks in our, in our future. <laughs> together. Actually, Paris, you know, I, I'm prepared to walk around any number of crafts tables with you uh, anywhere oh, yes. in, in uh, North America. So, uh, <laughs> But on that note, uh, let's. Uh, it's time to bring to a close this episode of Two Man Advantage and uh, Pierre, as always, fine work. And Pierre Bierman, thank you so much for joining well, us today. You. And uh, and uh, we Dr. hope to have you Bouquet. on again. <laughs> ah, there you go. I knew that we were going to hear something like that. 
<laughs> but thank well, you very much, Bear. It's been a thank pleasure. Thank you so much. It's well, the pleasure's been mine. Thank you so much. Okay. Take care.